Well, if you've got your Bibles, you can open up to Exodus chapter 24. We're going to be flipping to several different passages today, but we're going to talk about the glory of God and what that means for us as Christians, the glory of God. Now, I'm going to tell you, there are some amazing sights all over the world, and maybe there's some of them that you've seen. Maybe there's some of those that you can't wait to go and see, but there are many amazing sights that just kind of draws you into a place or an area of awe. And so some of those places that I've kind of looked at over the weeks are the northern lights of Norway. I don't know if you've ever seen them, but man, what an amazing sight that would be to go over to Norway, see these northern lights, and just see God's glory shining over his creation. There's also the Litvis National Park in Croatia. And you see sights like this, they just kind of draw you in. You're just amazed and in awe of what God can do. The Crater Lakes in Iceland. Uh, man, I, I tell you what, when I saw that, I saw that crystal blue water. All I could think is, wow, how beautiful. What an amazing place it'd be to swim in something like that. The mountains in Utah, we can't let America go off, right? Um, the mountains in Utah, what an amazing sight just to see this. And we know that this comes from the glory of God, from Him creating these things. But when you go and see these places, they just kind of draw you in. Another place is called the Falls of Iguazu in Brazil. I've actually been here to this place. And it's one of those, it's five times the size of Niagara Falls. It's absolutely gorgeous. And it's one of those sites that you look this way and you have to pan around this way to see the whole thing. It just draws you in. And when you see places like this, you're amazed by these sights. You look at them and you just, you're drawn in in awe and you say, wow, this is amazing. Can you imagine the creator that made these things? But can I tell you something? In comparison to God, these sights pale oh so much. And that's what we want to talk about today is the glory of God. Not the glory of God in his creation, but the actual glory of God and what that means for us. Yeah, we can look at these sights and be drawn in and just be awed by those things. But to be drawn into the presence of God, to be able to see his glory. Well, we want to talk about that as we look at four insights into the glory of God. The first one we're going to look at is the sight of his glory. Exodus 24, 17. It reads this. And the sight of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on the top of the mount in the eyes of the children of Israel. I mean, imagine if you will, all of a sudden they're there and they're ready to, to go and follow wherever God's leading them. He's been leading them by a pillar of fire at night and he's been leading them by a cloud during the day. But all of a sudden God stops them at the mountain and then his glory falls down upon the mountain. And Moses knows he's getting ready to go up there into the midst of that fire. God is calling him up because he's going to give him the Ten Commandments and other great things that he wants the people of Israel to know and do. And so he draws him up into this presence of God. But it's interesting because... Because he has to tell the people twice, like in Exodus chapter 19 and verse 21, he says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Go down, charge the people, lest they break through unto the Lord, to gaze, and many of them perish. They couldn't be ushered into the presence of God, because the glory of God was about to show up in a mighty, mighty way. Man, I think about this because I've often wondered what it would be like to come into the presence of God. I think about it because, and a lot of times we can leave church and we talk about being in God's presence, but I want you to know when God's presence shows up, it's something we've never seen before. It really is. It's something magnificent, something stupendous, something that only few people have been able to see. I think about when Jacob wrestled with God. After he wrestled with God, he made the statement, he said, I've seen God and yet I still live. 
When Manoah and his wife were told that they were going to have the child Samson, he made the same statement. He said, we will not live. And she says, yeah, we're fine. God showed up. I think about other instances throughout Scripture where God showed up in a mighty way, like in the time of Isaiah chapter 6, when he's ushered into the very presence of God. And he says, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. He recognized whose presence he was in. But it makes me think of Moses who asked the most spectacular thing in Exodus 33, if you want to look over there. Exodus 33 and verse 18, he said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. Have you ever really asked for God to show you his glory? Have you ever thought about what that would require? You ever thought about what that would mean for you? Well, we can see what it means because listen to what God says to Moses in response. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before thee. And I'll proclaim the name of the Lord before thee. And will be gracious to whom I'll be gracious. And will show mercy to whom I'll show mercy. And he said, thou canst not see my face. For there shall no man see me and live. So if you ask to see the glory of God, that's what you're literally asking for. God, I'm, I guess I'm ready to come to glory. God, I want to see you show up in such a mighty way. But when God shows up, I'm here to tell you, it is something that will drive man away. It's something that will drive man out of the place. And we'll see that in another story in just a moment. But you think about when God's glory shows up, it's so radiant, it's so magnificent, the finite can't comprehend the infinite. The one who is unholy can't comprehend the holiness of God. The one who shows up in that manner, you better be ready for God to go ahead and just take you home. I wonder if that's kind of what happened with Enoch. He walked with God and he was no more. God, I really want to just, let's just finish this journey together. Man, you think about it. Moses said, show me that glory. And God said this to him. You can't see my face. But in verse 21, he said, the Lord said, behold, there's a place by me and thou shalt stand upon a rock. And it shall come to pass while my glory passeth by. I'll put thee in the cleft of the rock. I'll cover thee with my hand while I pass by. And I'll take away my hand and thou shalt see my back parts, but my face shall not be seen. Man, I just want to be like Moses. God, I'll take the back. I'll take whatever you'll show me. Just show up. Just show off. Just do what only you can do. I just want to be there. I want to see something that can only be described as coming from you. In 1 Kings chapter 8, when Solomon begins to dedicate, or he's getting ready to dedicate the temple, he finishes the temple, they've placed everything, they've consecrated everything, and then God's glory comes down upon it in a cloud. It says that everybody left. Let me tell you something. How awesome would it be for God's glory to show up in here that we have to rush outside and then we just worship him outside? I'm just fine with that. I'll stand there as as God's cloud consumes the sanctuary and we can just worship him so that the neighborhood can see God is showing up here in this church. What a blessing that would be. But I also think of Jesus' transfiguration in Matthew chapter 17. What a spectacular thing those disciples got to see. He said, and after six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, his brother, and bringeth him up on a high mountain apart. And he was transfigured before them, and his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment as white as the light. And behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And then Peter said unto Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If thou wilt, let us make here three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, the voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their face and were sore afraid. When was the last time you were afraid to approach the throne of God? 
If you honestly thought about it. Now, granted, I know Hebrews tells us that we can approach the throne of grace with confidence. But we can approach it because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. But are we not still fearful of the unholiness within our heart? Are we not still fearful because of the sins that we commit that we come into the presence of God? Can you imagine what it is going to be like on the day of judgment when we face him? Man, the sight of God's glory was magnificent and only a few were able to see it. Secondly, I want us to look at the singularity of his glory if you want to, you can look at 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy 1 and verse 17. The singularity of his glory. Listen to this. 1 Timothy 1, 17. Now unto the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Here's what we mean by the singularity of God's glory. Only God deserves the glory. There is no other. There is nothing like God in this world. There is nothing that deserves glory like God. Nothing that deserves honor like God. If we just come right down to it, God and God alone deserve it. In fact, throughout his book, he talks about it. In the book of Isaiah chapter 42 and verse 8, he says through Isaiah, I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory will I not give to another, neither my praise to graven images. In Matthew chapter 48 and verse 11, a similar statement. For my own sake, even for my own sake, will I do it? How, for how should my name be polluted and I will not give my glory unto another? God will not give his glory to another. There is nothing that we can compare to God. In fact, in the book of Exodus chapter 20 and verse 5, it says, you shall not make a graven image or try to make one in my likeness. You can't do it because there's nothing like God. In fact, he says, I'm a jealous God. Oh, now let's stop for there on that one, right? You know, that's the one that got Oprah Winfrey to turn away from Christianity. Just means she never had it in the first place. She said she didn't like the fact that God said he was jealous. I want to offer you a little something for a moment. How many of you are married? Anybody married in here? Good. Okay. All right. I want you to think about this for a moment. Let's say your spouse, all of a sudden, someone started flirting with them. Anybody like that? Well, let's say all of a sudden somebody came up and kissed your spouse. Oh, I got a lot of ooh on that one. Let's say all of a sudden somebody came up and said, hey, I'd like to take you out on a date. Can I just tell you something? Is that wrong for you to be jealous over that? The answer is no. But all of a sudden we have the bad, evil connotation that all jealousy is wrong. No, let me tell you why it's not wrong. That's my wife. She is my second most precious gift that God has given to me. My salvation is first. She's my second most precious gift that God has given to me. She's mine. Mine. I want mine. <laughs> Got it? See the ring? Mine. Is it wrong for me to be jealous if somebody were to flirt with her? Yes, it's not wrong for me. I'm going to defend my right, my relationship with her. I'm defending that relationship. There's nothing wrong with it. Why? Because God has given her to me. Think about this when it comes to God. God is glorious, magnificent. There's no one like him. Who can God tell you to go worship like him? Who can God tell you and send you to? God created you. He made you. He loves you. He died for you. He's given you everything that you have in life. He's done everything for you. Who is he going to send you to? 
Is he going to tell you to go to save a lot? There's a guy on the corner. He's better than me. No. There's nobody as great as our God. So yes, he deserves all the praise and honor and glory we can give him. Man, there's the singularity of his glory. It's not wrong for God to be jealous if you start worshiping other things. Why? Because it won't fulfill you either. It will not fulfill you when you worship something or someone other than God. It will actually take away from you. And we'll see that in just a moment. you got to realize God is the only one. There's no one like him. In the book of 1 Chronicles chapter 29 and verse 11, it says this. Thine, O Lord, this is David speaking, thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in heaven and in the earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou art exalted as head above all. Man, there's nobody like him. No one to compare him to. That's why he said, you can't look to the birds of the air and make an idol and expect that to be God. The people of Israel made a cow an idol and said, this is your God. He said, no, it's not. God can't be described in man-made form. Why? Because the Bible says he's invisible and he is irradiated with the glory of his goodness. He is unbelievable and there's no one like him. Oh, God is glorious. He is so, so glorious. So we see the sight of his glory. We see the singularity of his glory. Number three, I want you to see the superlative of his glory. Look at me in Isaiah. Everyone needs to see this. Isaiah chapter 43, the superlative of his glory. That's right. I'm sticking with S's. What that simply means is this. I want you to understand why you were created. Listen to Isaiah 43 and verse 7. Even... Everyone that is called by my name, for I have created him for my glory. I have formed him, yea, I have made him. You were made for one purpose. I love it in the Westminster Catechism, that question is asked, what is the chief end of man? You ever wonder what you were created for? And I love their response. Get this, he says, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Now, here's what he's saying is, you were created to glorify God. Does God need you to glorify him? No. We've already talked about that. God is self-sufficient. God doesn't need you to praise him. He is all glorious whether you praise him or not. It's just the problem isn't about God's glory. It's about what you miss. Because listen to the second half of that. It is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. You realize that the greatest moments of your life are when you are glorifying God in your actions, in your worship, and in your life. That is the absolute truth. I'm telling you, there is no more exciting and enjoyable time for a Christian than when they're glorifying God. Now, I'm going to tell you, I love my kids. I guarantee you, every one of you in here would say, I love my kids. I love watching my kids grow. I love watching my kids play sports. I love watching my kids uh, make good grades and do great things for God's glory. I love watching them do stuff like that. But let me tell you something. The most exciting thing when it came to my kids is when they gave their lives to Jesus. When they glorified God with their life. That was the most exciting time. The most, I always find it funny when people say, well, Christians are such fuddy-duddies. Then you don't really know any true Christians. 
The joy of the Lord expounds in the life of a believer. John 10.10, God said, I've come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. If you are a joyless Christian, I would tell you, you aren't a Christian. Joy exudes from the Christian's life. It's not that we become dull or boring, as some people proclaim. Christians aren't dull and boring. Because when we glorify God, there's nothing more exciting in the entirety of our lives. That's the chief end of man. 1 Corinthians 10, 31 says, Whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 says that our body is a temple. The Holy Spirit is to be used for the glory of God. Now, oftentimes we think, then this question comes out, so should I serve God out of duty or delight? That's always the question that people have. Should I serve him out of duty or delight? Well, I will turn you to a story in Mark chapter 10 of Martha and Mary. If you want to know what the difference is, Martha was serving the Lord and she was doing it out of a duty. She was making sure that they had their cups filled. She was making sure that everything was comfortable, making sure that everything was done as it should have been done. And what was Mary doing? Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus. Martha becomes jealous. She doesn't like that. She thinks Mary should be up helping her. And she goes to Jesus. And I love this because she goes and she tells Jesus what to do. Let me just go ahead and tell you something. Don't ever tell God what to do. That's not a good thing for you. All right, But she goes up and she tells him. She says, tell my sister to help. And he goes, Martha, Martha, Mary, Mary has chosen that good thing, and I will not take it away from her. Amen. Let me tell you something. You ought to serve God out of delight. There's nothing more exciting than serving the Lord. There's nothing... I love preaching. Why? Not for my glory, because trust me, it doesn't come from me. It's all about his word. If anything happens, it is through the word of God, through the glory of God, for the, for the good of God. It ain't for me. I'm just a vessel. All I want to be is a mouthpiece for God. It's all him. It has to be. That's why I hold to those words in 1 Corinthians 2, 4, and 5. It's not by the wisdom of man that your salvation comes about, but by the Spirit of God. It is not through the wisdom of man at all that you might be saved. It is not through that power at all that you might be saved. It is only through the Spirit of God. That's it. We ought to be serving God out of a delight in our hearts. Man, we're having so much fun, I know, at the fair booth. But let me tell you something. There's more joy And what took place last night at 10 till 10, then there is riding all the rides at the fair when that young man gave his life to Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, that's the most exciting thing. There's nothing more joyous than telling people about Jesus and winning them to the Lord and seeing the change that takes place in their life. There's nothing more joyous. It is out of delight that we should do these things, not out of duty. But here's the thing. If you love God, you want to serve him. If you love God, you want to tell others about him. If you love God, you want to give him all the glory. Man, that's what it's all about. It's the superlative of his glory. You were created for it. Lastly, I want to talk about the sacrifice for his glory. Sacrifice for his glory. Romans 3.23, I guarantee you, you probably know it. You've probably heard it a many a time. For all have sinned. Are you included in the all? I'm included in that. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every one of us has missed the mark. You realize what sin is? Sin is an archery term. 
If you miss the bullseye, you've missed the mark. The bullseye is the perfection of God. It's being obedient completely to God. Every one of us has missed that. Every one of us has sinned. Every one of us has fallen short of the glory of God. And because we've fallen short of the glory of God, we not only need to recognize our sin, we need to recognize his sacrifice. In Hebrews 1, 2, and 3, hath in these last days, talking about Jesus, spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom he has also made the world, who being in the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had himself purged our sin, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Man, the glory of his sacrifice is amazing. He took your sin, your sin, your sin, your sin, your sin, my sin, all of our sins, and he bore it upon his body so that he might purge us of that sin. So that one day we could glorious enter into the gates of heaven and have eternal life with him forever. So that when we stand before him in the midst of judgment, we don't stand before him in our sin, but we stand before him in the righteousness of Christ so that we're allowed entrance into heaven. That is the great sacrifice that was made for his glory. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. We get a little bit messed up sometimes. I know there's plenty of songs that have been written about it. I know Above All is one of those songs by Michael W. Smith. But it's wrong. When he was on the cross, he wasn't thinking of you. He was thinking of his glory. You need to understand that. Now, the end game was for you to be saved. Please understand that. But your salvation is for his glory. Everything is for his glory. Every bit of it. When he was on the cross, you know what he was thinking about? He was thinking about the Father. He was thinking about the sacrifice being made for your sins and mine. He was thinking about how he was going to glorious fulfill. In fact, it says, for the joy of the cross. How did he find joy? Knowing what the end game was that God would be glorified and salvation would be dispersed to all mankind. That's the sacrifice of his glory. You realize he gave up a perfect abode where he was worshipped and glorified and exalted and praised. And he came down here to live on a dreadful rock for what we believe was 33 and a half years. And he lived in a place where he was ridiculed and he was mocked and he was scorned and he was beaten and he was crucified so that our sins might be forgiven. God's plan goes beyond all understanding that he was willing to take our punishment so that we might have eternal life. That is the glory of God's sacrifice. And there is no greater sacrifice in all the world. Let me tell you something. If you don't know that sacrifice, oh, I pray today is the day for you. I pray you realize that you have fallen short. Every one of us in here has fallen short. But by the grace of God, and here's the thing. I love it. When you get saved, that old house, it ain't your house anymore. That old life, it ain't your life anymore. He's already paid for it. He's already evicted you out of that house. And what he's done is he set you up a new house. He set you up a new place to reside. He set you up a new life. He's cleansed you. He's forgiven you. Let the past go and move forward in the future for what God wants to use you for. That's how you can glorify God the most with your life. How glorious is the God you serve? I'm here to tell you how glorious the God I serve. I can't even describe it. It can't be contained even in this book how glorious God is. 
We cannot understand it or fathom it. But man, one day, oh, one day, the glory of God. We don't need the sun in heaven. You realize that, right? Because the glory of God will be shining so brightly. And boy, that's going to be a day of worship. How glorious is your God? Well, the one I worship, he deserves all the glory. He deserves all the praise. And he deserves all the honor. And today, you can understand that as long as you recognize your need for him and accept his sacrifice for you.